Welcome to the Soul's Way podcast. This is your host, Emily Ann Brandt. I am a proud First Nations Mohawk author, speaker, and mentor here to meet you at the intersection of personal development and decolonization. I truly believe that when we see ourselves and one another, mind, body, emotion, and most of all, soul and spirit, we can break through systematic, ancestral, and generational ways of being that we came here to disrupt and rise above. We can lean into the ways that heal our spirits. I know we can do this through honest conversations, radical responsibility, and healing together in community. Through my stories and the incredible conversations with some truly amazing guests, my hope is that you leave each episode with a more open heart and that you feel emboldened in your medicine and your voice, knowing your ripple effect matters. Our ripple effect matters. Thank you for being here. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. I have the honor today and the privilege of introducing you to my friend John, um, who I met through a Toastmasters, my Toastmasters club that I'm in, where we practice public speaking skills. And um, this guy named John decided to come and join our club, and he's also a coach. So we had a lot in common, a lot to talk about. And so um, we were excited to to do a podcast episode together for you. And this episode, let me tell you, this interview, this conversation is just filled with so many, like so many aha moments, so many truth bombs, so many nuggets of wisdom. Really, really cool um, getting to hear things from other people's perspectives and learning from one another. So let me just tell you a little bit about John and then we'll dive into the episode. John Chow is a radical encourager and change maker. Using his top 3% podcast, Perspective Maintenance, and his perspective-shifting speaking and coaching, John's main mission is to help individuals over 45 realize that their best days are ahead of them, not behind them. He is fascinated by cross-cultural and intergenerational dynamics and is a personality assessment junkie. He specializes in creating opportunities for people to leverage what they currently think they have to offer and turn that into exponentially greater results so they can fulfill their dreams. With a decade spent in the luxury world providing world-class service and experiences and growing his ever-expanding shoe collection, John is now focusing on helping people reach their potential by seeing their own greatness clearly and tapping into their genius. Knowing the impact of the ripple effect we're all about that here at The Soul's Way, he spends his time with leaders because a rising tide lifts all boats. Without further ado, enjoy this episode with John Chow. Okay, welcome back everybody or welcome to The Soul's Way podcast. I have a very special guest and friend here with me today. John Chow, welcome to The Soul's Way. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me, Emily. It's so exciting. As a fellow podcaster, I love the chance to being on the other side. So this is great. Yes. So excited to have this conversation with you and to get into all of the juicy questions that I sent you. But um, first of all, why don't we just start with you introducing yourself to everybody. Let us know a little bit about who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. So my name is John, and I have found from a relatively young age that I am a really helpful person. And I've been able to take that into being somebody now who helps people really figure out what they want to do next in their life. 
And that has more specifically resulted in helping people who are typically over 45. They're reaching kind of the second stage of their life. And they feel like they're a little bit of a has-been or they feel like they're afraid that their major accomplishments have been in their past and that there's not a ton to look forward to anymore. Yet they feel like there's something in them where they still want to do something. And I help them find clarity and we build out a plan and I help them accomplish what they really want to accomplish because most of the time we're too stuck in our own heads and all we really need is a little bit of a perspective shift to help us see what we're really capable of doing so i mostly hold space for them and i try to hold up a more accurate mirror of for them to see themselves more clearly because i think we all see ourselves in not the best light sometimes mm-hmm. oh that's so awesome i even in even in your introduction there's so many things that I want to unpack with you that I'm excited to talk about. Um, But I'm curious too, how did you get into coaching specifically? Like I know you said from a young age that you, you noticed you're good at helping people. Um, So did you know from a young age that you wanted to do coaching? Cause I know like when I was younger, that wasn't really a thing that I saw people doing. Um, So my journey of how I got here is very like, interesting and windy and so I'm curious what what your story is and how if like the coaching world or personal development world impacted you how it shaped you how did you like get here into being a coach mm-hmm. I my family's from Taiwan and I moved here when I was seven with no preparation mm. of language or culture or anything like that it was just something that my parents had decided and then made happen for us And when I moved to, I only recently thought about this, and this is so cool to think about. I was a completely different person when I was growing up. And when I moved to Canada, all of a sudden, I didn't know the language. I didn't understand the social norms. And I became this very reserved version of myself that I then uh, became not very confident. I was bullied for a little while, and I felt really lost in general. And I really have to say that having older siblings sometimes can really suck, but sometimes uh, some good things come out of it. (laughs) And my older sibling at one point essentially forced me to work in retail because he really wanted a discount. And so that's what, you know, older siblings are for. So I got a job at Banana Republic because he wanted the discount to Mm -hmm. Banana Republic. And I started working out in the stock room and then I worked my way into sales. I was there for about seven years. And then I got poached to go work in luxury for the very first time. And then I ended up spending another seven or eight years working in the luxury world and with some experiences with corporate as well. And throughout all these things, I just found that I was really, really good at helping make things better. So whether it was working in luxury shoes and working with a buyer to help them really figure out what to do next and then having a lot of success with that. And I just somehow realized that I was able to be this person that was able to help people do what they do, but just a little bit better. And I realized that personal development came in a place where it was really necessary because I had to take care of all the baggage that I had gotten from the lack of self-confidence, from the lack of having direction, especially myself also being around a lot of great women and having great female leaders, I also then really needed to figure out what it meant to be a man for myself and to discover my masculinity. So a lot of these things have led me into great questions, which then lead, and then that's what coaching is all about. It's about asking Mm -hmm. questions. 
Um, so now I'm definitely a personal development junkie, for sure, a personality assessment junkie. I love all of those <laughs> things. And I just love learning okay. just like you do. And we're having great conversations. Wow, that's so cool. Um, so you mentioned being around like a lot of women and being influenced in that way and having to kind of define what masculinity means to you and in your own way, which is really cool. And I want to talk about that too. Um, but I'm curious then, was a lot of your personal development influences, were a lot of them women? Or like, who are some of your biggest influences in this space? Mm, great question. I would say that a lot of the leaders that I've had, whether it was when I was working in retail or as a corporate recruiter or any of these spaces, they were really the ones who believed in me. And mm -hmm. I have a more nurturing side of me. So I respond really well to nurture. And right. myself, I possess a lot of feminine energy and I'm unlocking more of my masculine energy right now, which is a lot of fun to develop. And mm -hmm. so when it comes to... <clears throat> personal development, I immediately was drawn to Brene Brown and her work yes. is phenomenal in so many okay. different ways. I have read all of her books. I've consumed them multiple times. And I even uh, held a book club to read her books with other people because I found it so great. So then, of course, Unlocking Us and Dare to Lead were a podcast that I listened to on a regular basis. And then I started to explore some of the more men um, and male leaders and thinkers um, like Adam Grant or Ed Milet. And I'm really trying to figure out who are some men that I want to be like and um, model their success or their behavior or the way that they lead. Mm, so interesting. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing. And I love Brene Brown too. I think she was one of my first and forever biggest influences for sure. Um, all things vulnerability. So good. Yes. Um, so your podcast is called the Perspective Maintenance Podcast, um, and I'm very excited to dive into it. I've just followed it, subscribed. Everybody go check it out, um, follow and subscribe. What does perspective maintenance mean to you? Mm, in a lot of our life, maintenance is really important. For example, let's say we eat really, really healthy. Why do we do that? Because we want to maintain our health. When we have a car and we take it in for the regular check-ins, why do we do that? Because we don't want it to be broken down on the side of the road when we go for a road trip. And so right. just like with everything else in our lives, our perspectives oftentimes also need maintenance because if we don't, then it can potentially get stuck or we get pigeonholed into seeing a certain thing and we have a hard time unseeing it. And so because I got stuck a lot with my perspectives growing up, whether it was my own limiting beliefs, whether it was the way that I saw the world in one sense, or anything else potentially with the way that I viewed men or women or societal roles, I felt stuck a lot. And so I wanted to create a podcast that was about getting unstuck and hopefully talking about the things that we talked about in the podcast so far, they were perspectives that could help challenge the listener's perspective and hopefully shift it a little bit so that they can start seeing things a little differently now. And mm -hmm. announcing it here 
basically for the first time, I'm about to start a second podcast um, because so much of the work that I've been doing with my clients is really about having their best days ahead of them and not behind them. Mm. And I really, really want to focus on that. So I'm launching a second podcast, focusing on that, and then also telling some stories of failure so that we can normalize failure and realize that the only way that we're going to grow in life is to fail. So hopefully we're going to get some great stories of how people have realized that their best days are ahead of them. And also we're going to get some cringy stories of people's failure, which we can then laugh at and enjoy listening to that and realize that they're still alive and life still keeps going. Ooh, okay. I feel so honored that you shared the exciting news here that there's going to be a second podcast. That is so cool. Um, and I love that. I think I was reflecting a lot lately about how coaches really have only one job, like one main reason that people hire coaches that they will stick, stay loyal to the same mentor over and over sometimes is because I think people's biggest desire is to be seen, to be like fully seen. So I literally recorded this whole podcast episode. I haven't posted it yet, but um, it's, it's called you have one job. <laughs> it's about how coaches, your job is to just fully see people. That's all we want as humans. Um, and so I love that you call it perspective maintenance and your coaching is like perspective coaching and clarity coaching. Cause that's really what we need in from our coaches is just this healthy mirror being held up and, and then being able to reflect like, yes, where we can grow and challenge ourselves, but also where our strengths are and what our, our beautiful, amazing qualities are and that we sometimes fail to see in ourselves. Um, and I think a lot of coaches do that really well, but yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. There, there's something about what you mentioned earlier, vulnerability or the opposite of that sometimes, which is a potential for shame. And I think our society mm -hmm. has caused us to be people who we like to adorn ourselves with a certain kind of clothing, or we like to wear a certain makeup, or we like to do whatever so that we appear in a certain way, because we might feel shameful if we're really seen as we are. But in reality, there's nothing more powerful than being seen as we are and being and feeling the value that we inherently possess and knowing how to use that as foundational building blocks to then build on top of that. If we are just building on top of the facade that we've created for everybody to see, then it's not going to be a very strong foundation. So yeah. the power, if anybody's listening right now and you haven't yet Felt what it's like to be seen I highly encourage you to have a conversation with Emily she's really really good at it or any coach that you might find that you resonate with and give yourself the opportunity to be seen maybe even for the very first time mm -hmm. thanks for saying that and yeah you as well I could see how your client clients would get so much benefit um, out of just one conversation probably with you um and another thing that I've been reflecting on recently which we'll we'll get into the the race stuff a little bit later, but the reason it came up for me is because a lot of, um, for just cause you were speaking about like building on this, you know, this version of you that you kind of think people want you to be, or that you expect yourself to be, but it's not the real you. Um, for many, many years, I denied my whole like indigenous ancestry and all of this ancestral pain and racial pain, um, that was there. And, it was, I didn't real, realize it at the time, but it was like I was only living like half a life. And once I realized there's this whole huge part of me that I've been denying, that's so important because our identity is so important. Um, and there's so much like 
wounding and pain from the oppression and the racism and the trauma here. And I really am worthy of healing this and I'm deserving of healing this, even though I'm mixed ancestry. And once I did that and I was like, this is, this is what I'm working through. I need to be fully seen and held in this. There actually was like a lot of white coaches who couldn't hold space for that because they didn't know how. And I was like, all I'm needing is to be fully seen and witnessed in this. And it's not happening right now in the industry. And so the mentor I'm working with right now, she's an indigenous um, healer, medicine person. And I, I've been reflecting a lot. And I think that's the biggest thing I'm getting out, out of working with her is like, I feel so seen um, mm. because she she gets it. She has the same lived experiences, the same ancestral pain. But I think even if you don't, you can make space for that in others. Like you can still hold someone um, and fully see them in it, but you have to be willing to lean in and get a little uncomfortable sometimes and make way for those like brave conversations. So um, mm. yeah, I just wanted to throw yeah. that in. Yeah, I love that. There's a certain aspect of we perhaps with the way that our society has been formed, start to diminish our ability to be curious and our ability yeah. to what's different than us and perhaps because there's so much conflict that's going out around us that we tend to surround ourselves with similar people and then we also don't take the time to develop skill sets of how to interact and be curious and wonder about how other people operate and and then hold space for them to be seen in who they are without projecting what our perspectives are and what I really, really love about being where we are right now in the world or in society or even specifically in, in Toronto is that we're a very multicultural city. And yet I also see a lot of people who have friends who are all the same background as them. And I'm not mm -hmm. trying to knock that in any sense or say that that's bad. But if we give ourselves the ability to really explore and be curious and understand the experiences of what other people have gone through it just broadens us as a person and we're able to have way different kinds of conversations with different kinds of people yeah absolutely I was just talking about that on my last podcast interview actually with my friend rave the importance mm. of like diversifying your even your friendship circles the the types of movies you watch the books you're reading like who are the authors by making sure that you're you're doing your part to gain those different perspectives too, like you said. Um, I love that. So wh while we're on this topic, actually, why don't we, I'm going <laughs> to skip ahead to this question um, that I've been dying to talk with you about. Um, what is it like being, first of all, being a male and also being Taiwanese, being Asian in a space that we see so typically dominated by white women? Mm-hmm. There's something really interesting about um, self-fulfilling prophecies. And I think I was in a very curious position where I learned podcasting with a group of about 400 people. And there were probably only five males in that group. And wow. there was probably, that was probably one of the only, and that was the only sort of Asian male. And at wow. that period of time, when the course was happening, I was seeing a lot of need for support. And the person who was teaching it provided some support, but it wasn't sufficient. So I ended up launching a subgroup for people to be able to ask questions. And then I, because I'm relatively tech savvy or I've been, I've been in this space for a little bit, it was easier for me to do that. And then all of a sudden I found myself 
as a male who's Asian, who's also probably 20 years average younger than the majority of the people there, I find myself the leader of that group of about 280 women who were predominantly Caucasian, who um, were learning podcasting at the same time as I was. And it was one of those moments where I felt like I can either shy away from it because the idea of being different was intimidating, or mm -hmm. I can embrace it and give them an opportunity to interact with me and expand their perspective and help them on their journey of podcasting or whatever it is that they were doing. And so I, one of the things that I think we can either see things as competition or we can see things as collaboration. And if I have a very collaborative view, then I would say, oh, wonderful, you're a minority because you're a woman. I'm a minority too, I'm an Asian male. And we can collaborate together to share our own experiences of being a minority to then make the world a more aware place. Or I can say, oh, you're my competition. I don't really wanna interact with you. I don't really want to embrace you. And one of the really interesting things that I, I experienced with a peer recently, she is a white, relatively well-off woman, and she went through domestic violence. And I said to her, I said, just because you're, a, you're somebody who's seen to be in a privileged position, it doesn't mean that you can't also be the face of domestic violence. And I think sometimes we all go through things where, where you feel small, that we're not allowed to say certain things. And in one sense, even though white women are in a space of privilege, they also sometimes may not feel like they could be seen because they're seen too much. And so how do we even navigate all of these different things? And I think for me, it is just owning my experience and being able to see myself as somebody who belongs and if I see that, then I will. One of the best advice that my older brother's ever given me is he says, if you think things are awkward, then they're going to be awkward. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like if I were to walk into a room of white women who are coaches and I feel other, then I'm going to become other. If I all of a sudden see myself as belonging, then now I get to be this person who belongs in here. And actually, I have the opportunity to make way more impact than any of the other ones who are there because they're so similar to each other. Whereas I bring something so different. And so I'm really starting to see my difference as something that is an asset versus something that is a liability. Mm, I love that so much. Um, and as I, as I was like, you know, jotting down questions and stuff to ask you, I was like, I wonder if that's even true. If, if you do find that your world is filled with women and white women or if it's just like that's what I see because that's that's who I kind of initially subscribe to you know what I mean I'm like maybe he does follow like Lewis Howe's school of greatness like I know you like Joe Dispenza maybe there mm -hmm. is lots of males um in your world because I know we have the algorithm actual social media algorithms and then we have the algorithm of our mind too so yes. yeah that's but another thing you're definitely not wrong. And there are a lot of white women in this space. And ironically, there's also a lot more women who look for coaches than there are men. And right. so True. all of a sudden we have a lot of, let's say, white women who are looking for coaching and then they identify with the white female coaches and then it becomes yeah. almost of 
a, um, a, a biased, like positive affirmation type thing, which is not necessarily, oh, I, we can either see it as a, an opportunity, or we can see that as something that is a difficulty. And I believe that looking at it as an opportunity, be like, wow, great, I get to actually say something and do something and, and bring awareness in a way that none of these other people can, I am at a huge advantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you've spun it around like that, because it is an advantage. It's what is going to help you stand out. Because yeah, I think sometimes people just want to connect with people that they see themselves in that they um, that they look like that they yeah, they feel familiar with. But I think also, sometimes people do want that refreshing new perspective. And they want that mirror being held up for them. And they want new perspectives and insights. And um, I think as a woman too, to have um, to have a male, like a masculine energy. And I know you talked about like having an, a nurturing side and having a lot of feminine energy too, but like just being, just being a male presence, I think that is a, a unique like thing to have as well. Um, that would be a really cool asset for, for a coach. Like, mm -hmm. cause sometimes like just hearing things, it does come, it does hit you differently when you hear it from a man um, versus like another female coach. So I think that's another, another um, good thing to have as well. Agreed. Yeah. Super, I feel very super. privileged that I have the ability to create safety and psychological mm -hmm. safety, also a safe space for people to open up and really share about what's causing them to not be able to move forward. And yeah. I think we can all nurture that, but I definitely have an advantage being a male uh, in this space. Yeah, that's, and thanks for acknowledging that, but it's, it's really cool. Um, and I like how you're using that privilege to help people. Um, have there been any cultural influences that have shaped uh, like how you show up as a coach or a leader? Um, because you're so expressed in your emotions and you're so, um, like vulnerable and in the way you're, you know, you're so boldly claiming um, everything you do and your feminine and masculine energy and all of that. Was that ever a challenge for you with your culture or with just being a male in this society that tells men they have to act in a certain way? How has all of that like shaped, shaped you? Mm, I love being able to see things in hindsight a little bit. I have a wonderful father who I admire. And if I could be half of the man that he is when I am whatever older, then I would be so happy. But one of the things that I always criticized and didn't like about him was that he was a very soft and he is a very soft man. And he's not the kind of person who would create conflict or mm, sorry, he avoids conflict. And I have always found that to be a weakness in him. And I, we've had conversation about that. And he leads in a much more passive way in one sense. And I used to think that that was something to his detriment. But I have found that by carrying himself with a lot more calmness, by not jumping the gun and rushing to conclusions and trying to make things right, that things do work themselves out in the long run. And he operates with a lot of wisdom. And what I think is really interesting is that the feminine energy has a lot more wisdom in it. And it's a wonderful place to be in. But a lot of the time, people who are leaders operate in the male energy of doing and making things happen. And that oftentimes can rush to consequences that are not as ideal. So I would say that my dad has been a huge influence on me culturally, 
also the general Asian culture is very collective. And a really big yeah. reason why I really like Canada versus I don't really identify with the U.S. as much is because the over individualism that, that is being expressed and propagated is very, very harmful. The only thing that is keeping society together is communities or else mm -hmm. we would all just be independent people, which for the most part we are. And it's really sad because living in your own living in an atomic family by yourself in your own home that is a new invention that's only happened within the last 200 years. Yeah. Before that, people lived in communal spaces together. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden now, let's say, for example, we have modern women who give birth. They don't have any other women around them to teach them the process of preparing for that. They don't have support with them. Even recently, I watched this brilliant video of how in the past there has been opportunities for women to even go through their cycle together and that there isn't this individual pain of like I'm going through shame of going through whatever my time yeah. of the month and I can't express that there's so much collectiveness and I really believe that in a space in a world where it's highly individual and we're even coaching one-on-one -on -one, which is also very individual yeah. mm -hmm. that having a collectivist mindset, having a community-oriented mindset has been a huge benefit and blessing for me because I'm culturally shaped that way. I'm able yes. to also influence leaders to think that way and to operate that way or to create impact that way. And maybe that's why I attract more female clients than I do male clients. Um, but I see that as a huge way for me to be able to help create the society and the community that I want to live in in the future, where it's much more together than it is separate. Yes, I'm so glad you touched on that individualism. That's something I've been also reflecting on lately a lot and thinking about a lot is the how colonization really created this toxic individualism. And we weren't meant to operate like that, right? And that, that's not the, the Asian culture. That's not the indigenous culture. That's not mm -hmm. African culture. That's not Latinx culture. Like all of us um, who were, all of us who aren't European settler, basically, we're, we're meant to, and I even believe if you go way back, way, 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 way back with the European ancestors, like we were mm. meant to live in villages, right? And, and and serve one another and serve God by serving one another and seeing ourselves as one with all of creation. Um, and it's, it's so true. Even the, the motherhood stuff, I was thinking lately how, you know, that saying like, it takes a village to raise a child. It's so true. And I was like, not only do people not have villages anymore, but now it's a competition. Motherhood is a competition, like how painful and awful it's like, who can, you know, who can get their child into the best school and who's doing the sleeping schedule right? And no, that's the wrong way to do it. And this is the right way to do it. And it's like, oh my gosh, could we be any farther removed from the way we're supposed to operate? So that's, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's something I'm really passionate about too. And I think coaching, like you said, it does have the, pa it, it does have elements of that individualism, like one-on-one -on -one coaching, literally mm -hmm. personal development, self-help, self-care. We see it a lot, but also um, when people create these collectives and these communities, I think that's where the real magic happens. Um, and when they're being run in ways that are, that are more 
like healthy reciprocity and everyone's opinion matters and is valued equally. Um, that's, yeah, that's where the gold is. Absolutely. As a person, if I lived in a community where I knew the values of the other people in my community, it would be so easy for me to have my child be babysat or to have my children play with their children and spend time together, knowing that the parents of that family are great role models as well for my children to look up to them for because we have the same values. And we used to have that when we lived in in tribes or in villages or in communities mm-hmm. where there were all common, if we did not come together, we would not survive. If yeah. we did not come together and have the same values, then everybody would die off. So, but it's so hard now with the differences. I can't even, I don't even know what my neighbor believes in or values or cherishes or how they spend their money or what they look at. And like, how can I then send my child to a school where there's so many different things that are being taught that probably I wouldn't even agree with. And then now the next generation is being brainwashed into thinking that's something totally different than my own values. How would that even work? And why is North America or the Western culture right now such a mess compared to other parts of the world? And it's because of something as simple as not really even having the same values together. Mm, yeah and that like fear of other values too like my way is right and everything else is wrong and yeah. not not leaning in with curiosity like we talked about and just being willing to see different perspectives to change who we hang out with who our children spend time with who we learn from um because maybe then we can create a bigger collective it feels like such a huge mission (laughs) it feels overwhelming sometimes but I do I do believe in a future in in an earth where we are living as one like we are supposed to be doing um for sure and I think it's possible like we met randomly at a Toastmasters event and Mm -hmm. we couldn't be more different in one sense and yet look at how similar we are in our values and our dreams and what we really like to see the world become so Mm -hmm. I really that there are potentially more and more people and we are doing what we can to influence and impact the world and the people that follow us then I in one sense the world has become a scary place but in another sense I've never been more hopeful at what we can do because we choose to not allow that future to exist Mm -hmm. yeah thank you for that I, I love that um, okay, let's talk about changing our minds, because this is something I've seen you talk about that I really like. Um, growing and changing our minds. Why do you think that we have so much shame around this? Like when we start one career path, and then we want to change or we start a business, and we want to change our minds, or we think it's too late in life, or um, those those shame thoughts that we're supposed to be a certain way, one way, and that's it. Why do you think we have so much shame around changing our minds? Mm, I really believe that there is a social norm that values consistency over growth. And Mm. what's really, really sad is that consistency for the sake of consistency has no value. Imagine if we actually ate the exact same food every single day, we would miss out on certain vitamins that come from other foods. And but we are somehow preaching that consistency is so important. And a lack of consistency means a lack of self-discipline or means a lack of clarity. There's shame attached to a lack of consistency. 
then all of a sudden people are stuck being consistent because they want to avoid the shame, not because they're trying to build healthy habits. Whereas yeah. when there is an ability for, I mean, I think it's just really interesting. Change is sometimes seen as somehow there's some shame attached to change. Like, for yeah. example, if I went to school for one thing and then I did one job and then I decided to change and then I decided to change again, it seemed as something inconsistent or that there's something that is um, that's wrong with me in one sense. And there's some shame attached to it. Yet at the same time, the change is a result of growth. If there was no change, there also most of the time means that there's no growth. And yet we don't really see it in this perspective. And I used to be somebody who was really a black and white person. And I was kind of like, it's either this way or it's that way. And it's really funny. I did the Myers-Briggs test when I was probably around 18 or 20. And I had one result. And in my late 20s or in my early 30s, I took the test again. And because of all the personal development work that I've done, my result has been completely different. And it's so interesting. And I really believe that I used to be a very black and white person because I wanted to avoid shame and embarrassment. And so mm -hmm. if I wasn't seen as somebody who changed his opinion and I stayed true to that, then um, then it would be I would avoid the pain and the embarrassment of that. But now I see it completely differently, where if I am growing as a person, then that also means that I've been able to change my mind about things. And changing my mind about things, it doesn't mean that I was wrong previously and that I should be embarrassed about it. It just means that I wasn't developed enough or exposed to enough things to have had a under ability to create a better conclusion. And my former lack of resources allowed me to have a certain kind of conclusion, which made me think a certain way. Now that I've been exposed to even more things, then there are new conclusions. And yeah. that therefore, it's okay that I've changed my mind because I've changed it for the good instead of staying the same and also potentially much more ignorant than I in the way that I was before. And yeah. I think for a person to really tackle that, deal with that themselves, realize why they're so attached to consistency, why they may, may feel so shameful about change. And a lot of times the change that happens are the things that allow for them to have a life that's completely different and maybe they can find their joy or their fulfillment or their purpose and I really think that that's an important thing to discover oh, so good so many like aha moments <laughs> mic drop moments um I really I, I know this is going to be resonating with a lot of people um so I really appreciate everything you said it's that growth mindset um, that is going to allow you to embrace change because I think the only thing consistent is that I'm consistently changing. I'm consistently evolving. And that's something I choose intentionally is that I signed up for growth and evolution over my whole lifetime. Um, but some people don't, they really don't, they subscribe to consistency. And I think I'm just having this light bulb moment now. That's really a colonial value is consistency, consistency, consistency. And this like nine to five, everyone has to operate on the same schedule, the same hours, the same fit in the same one mold. Don't question things. And when we, you know, 
force this consistency. We don't question things. We don't stop and go, wait, the system is actually built really unfairly and it's only benefiting some people. We don't question things when we're focused on um, being in that like hamster wheel of quote unquote consistency. So hmm. it's fascinating. There's a part of us as human beings that loves to expand, but there's also another part of us as human beings that loves to be safe. And yeah. so somehow mm-hmm. we've been exploited by industrialization, basically, when now they're trying to get people to be more efficient and human beings have become commoditized for a thing. And even our modern education system was created to build workers, was to create mindsets of people who would be workers, not to be leaders or entrepreneurs or inventors, because they need people to work in the factories. They need people who don't question things, who are happy with a nine to five, who are very easily content with consistency and predictability in their schedule. If they know every single day is going to look exactly the same and they get to collect a check at the end of the day that they can spend on whatever they want to, there is less risk in their life. And then they can live an easy, safe, predictable life because there's a part of us that's tempted to fall into that because growing is uncomfortable. Growing is highly um, volatile in one sense. And for us to question who we are, what we're growing into, question our identity a little bit, that's not enjoyable in any way until we see the result. The process of it is really tough. And Mm -hmm. so I can see the appeal of living a life of that predictability and that But then we also become brainwashed into just being essentially one way. And that is a result of colonialism, industrialization, all these different things. Yeah. And it's like you said earlier, living, living under this facade and thinking like, this is who I am, I think, or this is who people expect me to be. And it's like, you're not fully living because you're actually like, I believe we're here on earth to express ourselves fully, um, to play with who we are, discover who we are see our own light, see the light in others. And we're, you're not allowing yourself to fully do that when you're just living in this one way. Um, Mm. and that's, yeah, that's something I really feel after like embracing my indigenous ancestry and really, um, speaking out on the issues that matter to me that sometimes are scary to speak out on, but I feel like I'm living a real life now, like a full life instead of just being this one way that people, maybe expect me to be, but I didn't realize I was doing that. So it takes, mm-hmm. it can take some, t- just time sometimes and, and people are on their own timelines of self-awareness, but um, yeah, it's all, it's all so interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so happy we're having this conversation. Me too. Yeah. Um, something else you talk a lot about is self, like having compassion with ourselves, self-compassion. So what does that mean to you? And how, what are some ways that people can practice self-compassion, especially if it's new to them? Mm. I found myself at one point, probably in my early twenties, where I was so judgmental of other people. And I would have this impossible standard of life. And I would just be like, that person's not living up to their standard, that person's. And I kind of lived my life protecting myself, being the, the, the quote, quote, good boy. So a really silly illustration would be that I grew up going to church and I remember as a teenager, I would keep my own attendance of how much I went to church as if doing that made me a better person. 
And it really was because I was so fragile on the inside that I needed something outside to externally validate me. And I, one day, I believe it was Brene Brown's TED talk where she said, the reason, if you can't love yourself, you're not going to be able to love other people. And the reason why you're so judgmental about other people is because you're really judgmental about yourself. And I had this huge Mm -hmm. aha moment where I was kind of like, oh, crap. (laughs) Oof, yeah. Like that hurt. And so it hurt for a good reason. And I started to really analyze how hard I was on myself. And it was all because I needed to hide under the veil of perfectionism. I was so fragile on the inside, so broken, so insecure that I felt like if I was able to do these things outwardly, people would see me in a certain way. They would admire me. They would accept me. I would feel like I belonged in one sense, but yet that was all really a lie. And in reality, if I'm able to love myself, and this is actually really interesting, I'm currently going through a coaching program myself because I believe that as just the same way as you are, as coaches, we believe in the transformative work that we do. However, mm-hmm. if we don't invest in our own transformation, how can we be people who provide transformation for others? So yeah. I love that you have a coach that you're you're walking the walk and not just talking the talk. And I have been as well. And this is a men's group. And recently one member was challenged to write a love letter to himself. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. I want to write a love letter to myself. So I started writing this love letter. Be like, hi, John, I'm such a fan. I've been following you for a really, really long time. And I know that you came from a place of a really difficult childhood to becoming who you are now. And I followed you when you made a change this way. And I followed you when you decided one day to take a stand with this. And I love that you chose to start listening to books and or listening to podcasts and reading books and doing all these different things. And I just started writing to myself this love mm-hmm. letter and I got teary. I'm kind of like, wow, for a long time, I didn't love myself. And I think it's really scary how many people in our society don't love themselves or they don't have reasons to love themselves. Maybe they were told when they were young that they weren't lovable. Maybe they were made fun of a lot. Maybe there's a belief in their mind that they are not somebody worthy of love. And so therefore they don't love themselves. Well, if we don't love ourselves, then how can we have compassion on ourselves when we make a mistake? How can we ever decide to take a risk and do something different and follow our dreams or run after our passions or discover what really is we're meant for? If all of that requires risk and failure, and if we don't have the ability to have compassion on ourselves, then all of we'll just be hiding. And for the rest of our lives, there's a quote that I heard recently by Ed Milet. He says, the price you pay to chase after your dreams is far less than the price you pay if you don't chase after your mm-hmm. dreams. And I'm so like, damn, <laughs> if I don't chase after my dreams, I'm going to have 40 more years or 60 more years of living just in a really a, a subpar life where I'm lying to myself and I, and I hate myself every day for not rising to my potential. Yeah. Or I can have a lot of self-compassion because I make a lot of mistakes, but I'm working towards the stream of knowing who I can be. And then the more that I do, the more that I am able to trust myself, the more that I'm able to then love myself, then the more I'm able to believe in myself. And then it becomes this really positive building block system of my own life. 
So I think it all really comes down to this. And if we can really tackle for everybody listening right now, if you can really sit with yourself and think about why don't I love myself? Where did that come from? What is it? Is it my love handles that I currently have? Is it, And why? Why do I find that that is not lovable? And Emily, you made a post recently about an interaction that you had with your husband and how he took care of you and how mm -hmm. he showed love to you in a part of your body that you didn't particularly yeah. like. And I cried when I saw that. I teared up oh. because there's something really beautiful about that. And for us, because it was healing, not just for um, you to experience it, but then it was also for you to accept that about yourself. Yeah. And I think we all have these parts of us, whether it's emotional or physical or, or mental, that we feel not the greatest about. And if we can really pinpoint that and then have perhaps be with somebody that can hold safe space for us to then talk about it or we can reflect with ourselves and then start to get rid of those limiting beliefs or get rid of those negative self-talk or get rid of those reasons why we can't love ourselves and then really do start to love ourselves our lives will change for the better in a drastic way yeah yeah so true so many truth bombs there and everything you said yeah. and thanks for your you know always your vulnerability and your willingness to share as well I think that's such a beautiful idea with the love letter um the letter to yourself I've I've definitely done one of those I've made my clients done those and they are always so powerful I never fail to cry but it's like a beautiful cry and it's yeah. it's just yeah it's so healthy it's so good. And I think especially as people who are ambitious and really have these big dreams that we want to make happen, which I know everyone listening to this podcast, um, if you're listening to a podcast like this, like you are a dreamer, you are somebody who's here for growth, then you especially need that self-compassion when it doesn't happen overnight. Right. And like, like John said, we are going to, we are going to fail. We are going to do things that are cringy. We're going to change our minds. We're going to put ourselves out there and fall on our face sometimes. And that's just part of it. And so that compassion piece, if you don't have that, then you're not going to, this journey is not for you. You're not going to be able to make it through because nobody just like does it overnight. Right. So mm. it's so key. A, key. a small example came to me. May I share? Yeah, please. I think we've all been in the place where we've looked at pictures of us from before and <laughs> then have that cringe moment, right? And so I remember in the 90s, it was super baggy jeans and like a shirt with like a button down that's open outside. And like I had a middle split in my haircut and it, it <laughs> looks like cringy now looking back at it. But when I was at that time, I fully embraced who I was then. And I can either right now yeah. look back at that John and be negative about it and be like oh I can't believe I used to wear that or I can look at it and say wow I was so myself then and I was so willing to be myself and that attitude and mindset allowed me to be myself now and I know that 10 years from now I'm going to look back and be like oh I can't believe it yeah, was like that exactly. but or I can be like wow that person was able to be true to himself which then gave me permission to be and discover who I can be in the future so it really is all about how we look at things. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good perspective. And that's interesting that you can, amazing that you can look at the picture and, and remember like, no, that guy was so confident and like owning who he was, he was expressed in who he was. And I'm 
I'm proud of that, even though I don't agree with the same fashion choices <laughs> today, maybe, but like, I'm proud of who I was. I think that's really beautiful to be able to say. And like, I was happy with, with that. Mm. That's awesome. Cause I know I look at some pictures and I'm like, wow, I looked good. Like I, I looked skinny. I looked fit. And, and I remember, but not feeling that way, not feeling mm. good in my body. And I'm like, oh, I would kill to trade places with like my 22, 23, 24 year old <laughs> self. And, but she didn't even appreciate it in the moment. Yes. So I think that's a lot of people's experience too. So this is something that I learned from one of my clients and that for any person, male or female, but specifically female, um, this is so wonderful. A lot of women shy away from taking pictures of themselves. Mm -hmm. But in reality, five years from now, you're going to look back at who you are right now and be like, wow, I was so beautiful back then because mm -hmm. aging causes us to whatever, deteriorate. It's just the law of life. Yeah. <laughs> and so why are we then so ashamed of taking pictures of ourselves now when in five years, we're going to treasure the memories of being who we are right now and look back and be like, look at how beautiful I was back then. And so I encourage everybody who's listening right now to take pictures, document yourself. It doesn't matter whether you just woke up and have bedhead or whatever that is, or just allow yourself to appreciate who you are right now. Yeah. Uh, such great perspective maintenance. Thank you, John. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, I have loved this whole conversation so much. There's so much here. If before we close things out here, is there anything else that you just want to share that you feel like is on your heart or tip of your tongue that you want to share with us and then um, let everyone know where they can connect with you as well and, and keep soaking in your wisdom? I would say that don't be afraid to, or if there are feelings inside of you, to rock the boat, to ruffle some feathers and speak about things that really matter to you, I would highly recommend you reach out to somebody like Emily or, or find a safe person that you can process your thoughts with. Because in reality, a lot of things need to be said. There is something called a mainstream narrative. There is something that is how the general norm of people think. And when we go against that, a lot of times people can become very defensive. So the thing that we can do to serve ourselves the best is to articulate what we're trying to say in the best possible way by really thinking about the things that we're feeling and trying to figure out how we can communicate to a way that gets the result of what we want. And I understand sometimes it's very emotional and we just want to say something. And if we don't have the ability to then have influence and provide the result that we want, then maybe we do ourselves a disservice. And so whether it is speaking up about indigenous situations that need to be made right, whether it is about norms that are negative towards women and how women suffer, because whatever that might be for you, speak up about it. I highly encourage you to and mm -hmm. find somebody that you can develop that thought with more clearly so that you can articulate it and speak in a way that you can get the results that you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is what your coaching helps with, right? The clarity, the perspective. Um, I'm also running a group program in the new year that's like specifically going to focus on um, emboldening your voice. And yes. it's going to be for Indigenous people and people in the global majority because this is something I'm hearing a lot is like, I know I have like so much to say, but it's, I, I just can't like bring myself to post yet, or it doesn't feel ready yet. Um, 
or it's scary putting myself out there online. And so I think, yeah, being in, whether it's my program, John's program, another, like working, work with someone or ideally group of people where you can be witnessed, you can, you can reflect, have things reflected back to you. You can be seen in your strengths and supported through your shadows as well. It's, it's obviously it's everything. So yeah, Mm. good point. I love that you shared that. Yeah. And when we're willing to stick ourselves, our neck out there, then it is impossible not to love ourselves after that, because we're just so proud of the courageousness that we have taken. Um, so yeah, thank you for letting me yeah. be here. Anybody can find me. Um, I'm the John Collective almost anywhere. So that's my website. If you want to find out more about me, I'm on Instagram at the John Collective. I'm on LinkedIn at the John Collective. Um, and you can follow my podcast, Perspective Maintenance. I'll be announcing my second podcast soon. Uh, yeah, and then having more conversations like this to really help expand people. Amazing. I love everything's the John Collective, mostly everywhere. And then the um, podcast is the Perspective Maintenance. So it's nice and easy. Um, go connect with John, everybody. John, thank you so much for your time, your vulnerability, your energy, and all the amazing wisdom that you shared today. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you for holding space for me. Thanks again so much for being here. It really does mean the world. And one way that you can thank me, that you can thank any podcaster, if you get any value from my medicine, from my shares, from anything our guests have shared, the biggest way you can thank a podcaster is by sharing. So take a screenshot, tag me at Emily Ann Brandt on your Instagram stories. I'll be sure to reshare and thank you. And better yet, if you have just a minute, take a minute, leave a review or even tap and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It means the world. It helps us reach more people and get this medicine out there. Thank you again for being here. Please hang out with me on Instagram or come join our Facebook group, The Soul's Way. I'll talk to you next time. Love and gratitude.